Hey everybody, and welcome to Libromancy, the podcast about the magic of books. I'm Josh, and today I'm going to be talking about Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Mir. So, let's die with the magic of books. Now, I know dying is such a tragic thing, but uh, in this book it's not quite so bad, because this book is all about necromancers. And it was a really fun book. It took me a little bit to get into it, and... I think it was probably like 50% before I was really, really invested and I really wanted to just keep going and not stop reading. I think 25% and then I was like, yeah, I like this. I'm going to keep reading it. So that was good. Um, One thing was I had heard over and over again when I was reading things about this book or seeing things, and I kept seeing that this was like uh, lesbian necromancers in space. And I just, I kept waiting for it. I was reading the book, and I was like, this is not true. There has been no notion of love or romance at all in this story. Um, and then it's kind of a very subtle thing near the end. And then it's very less subtle when you get to the very end. So it's true, but also not true. Very misleading, if that's what you're going into it for. Um, I did not think that the love was necessarily 100% realized but that's a part for a different story i thought the story was great there were things that kind of made me not like it as much i did not enjoy the parts of the writing where she would just take words and she'd be using them well and then they'd like change to a different style of words so she's kind of got the gothic theme going and lots of necromancy and you know just good and then she'll throw in like oh yeah he was mega dead and i'm like mega dead that's weird. Why would you say mega dead? That just whoop, turned me off right there. Uh, but other than that, there was not a lot to complain about with the writing. I definitely felt that the farther in the book I got, the better she got at writing. And that the more conducive and just like easy the words flowed off of the page and into me into my mind. So you know, kind of especially like near the beginning And towards the middle, I almost felt like it was purple prose. Like, I never did think that. But sometimes it felt close, that it was was kind of pushing that boundary. But I didn't dislike it. I just felt like a lot extra. And I almost feel like if you could have cut a lot of things and not missed a ton in the story. But that's fine. I do have to give her some credit for a lot of alliteration, especially in the beginning. There were lots of uh, alliteration kind of sprinkled everywhere, and they fit just fine. They didn't throw me off. They were just kind of like, hop, I noticed it. I noticed that, you know. And Tamsin Muir does say that there are a lot of, like, cultural things that people in her universe shouldn't get or understand that they just kind of brush over, like the mega dead. So, you know, it is what it is. All right, let's talk about, let's get into the spoilers and let's talk about that. So... The spoiler, the story of the book is that all of the houses have been called by the immortal emperor of the first house, so the second through nine houses have been called to send their heirs, and that they are needed to create new lictors to basically help the emperor in his fight against something. We don't know what, we don't know why, but they've been called to do that. They show up at the place where they're told, Canaan House, and... They're given the most basic of instructions, become lictors, and left on their own devices. 
people start dying. They have to fight. They have to go through necromantic challenges. And then they're rewarded with like the necromantic theorems. Meanwhile, like I said earlier, people are dying around them. Somebody's killing them. They find out that one of the heirs to the houses is not actually an heir to the house, but a, a, a lictor already and has been secretly killing everybody to get back at the emperor and to try draw him closer and kill him. Then she dies and our main character wakes up at the end. So it was very good. It was very engaging. The first, I would say until they actually reach Kanan house, it was less exciting. There were parts that were well foreshadowed. There were always a lot of good story beats, but I didn't feel a hundred percent invested until our two main characters really started working together. Our main characters, of course, being uh, Harrowhark and Gideon. They are both from Ninth House. They both hate each other. Harrowhark is the heir to the house. Hark, excuse me, heir to the Ninth House, and Gideon is the Cavalier, the leftover makeshift Cavalier who was called because the other one abandoned his duty. Basically, the Necromancer and her bodyguard kind of a situation. So I I thought it was great. I thought I loved the special focus that we got on each of the house's special skills that the ninth house is super good at kind of bone manipulation and, sh- and creation. And the eighth house is really good at siphoning people. And Sextus, the sixth house necromancer can like identify ages of things really well through the necromancy and the Naturgy, which is really good, you know, was great use of words, great use of story. I thought all the powers played well together. However, uh, aside from our two main, Harrowhark and Gideon, everybody else felt a lot flatter to a degree. Uh, definitely the worst of that would be like the second house, the army felt super flat. They had a position and they're not budging from it. Eighth house was flat but not flat if that makes sense they had reasons for doing things but and they were partially fleshed out but they kind of just had their own stance and they didn't budge from it at all whereas the rest of them the people from third fourth fifth and sixth house and seventh they they really did feel more fleshed out they didn't get enough screen time necessarily because we're not focusing on them to really feel that but if you had delved in you could have easily seen that some more. So that was really good. Some of the other things I really liked were the necromantic theorems were very cool. They are given permission to go in any door as long as they get permission. And so if they find these keys, which they get by completing challenges, they can go in and learn a new necromantic theorem. And that increases their ability to become a lictor. You know, they have various theories because nobody knows, but you get all the theorems you can kind of combine them, and that's how you become a lictor. So one of the first tests, we only see two or three of the tests, but one of them is the is a regenerating skeleton that they have to fight. And the necromancer has to kind of ride in the body of their cavalier, which is very tough, and work together to defeat the, the bone, the skeleton creation, by attacking it in certain positions, in certain ways. And that was really cool. The other method, the other test that we saw was about siphoning, where you drain your cavalier's kind of life force to keep the 
death force at bay from killing you while you have to go into a room and open a chest and such. So it was very cool, very interesting. There was, you know, a lot of good points there. The mystery, the confusion, who's killing people, how are they dying? That part was great. It really, as I was looking it up, it, it does say that it's a gothic horror book. So to my earlier point about the hype being wrong about it, maybe I just was looking in the wrong spots, but this is the most you know off-base one I've had. But it is a gothic horror, and the horror elements she pulls off great. They were just the right combination of scary and creepy mixed together with the unease of who's doing this, who's doing that. Nobody knows. Can you trust the other houses? Can you trust your own necromancer? Which is especially you know difficult for Harrowhark and Gideon because they hate each other and they've always hated each other. And now there was, I know I'm kind of all over the place, but uh, that's kind of what you get with me talking about these. So I did really enjoy, and I thought were very powerful, the scenes where Harrowhawk and Gideon actually talk to each other. Because, like I said earlier, with my expectations going into this book, I assumed that the reason Harrowhawk and Gideon hated each other so much was because they had been in a relationship. And then that had fallen apart, and then potentially they were going to get back together in this book, right? No, they just hated each other. And it was such a strong hatred that I was like, well, this is, you know, that's why I kind of thought, like, normally you don't have these kind of feelings unless you uh, like them a lot beforehand. So, but the scene where they're actually talking and explaining and, you know, comforting each other and saying, like, hey, this is what happened. And, like, you aren't to blame for my parents' death. Like, my parents were ashamed of me and the fact that they did this horrible horrible cruel thing to all the other children which you know they did kill 200 kids that are the same age as Harrowhark to make sure that she was born a necromancer and that Gideon was supposed to die and you know breathed in all the toxic fumes but didn't die and that's why Harrowhark's parents were so afraid of her but that scene where they're in the they're in the water because that was one of her mother's rules it just felt real it felt close I really enjoyed that. I wish that there had been more of that in the book. Uh, Just more of them communicating without the hate. The story was great as it was, though. The distrust, the dislike, it really played well into the horror aspect. The who's going to do what? The how are they going to do it? Do I trust Harrowhark? Do I not? It played well together. I didn't like it as much as maybe other people would, but it did work very well for the story. The only thing I did not really foresee, I did not necessarily like how fast they came together because they went from absolute hate, you're the worst person ever, I've always hated you, I'll always hate you, to best friends, lovers, and yes, it is a tragic time of death and like you're fighting for your life and emotions are heightened, but it still takes time to kind of undo those feelings more than just a talk and a hug. And I felt like the pace of the book was such that it was only like three days to like a week or two. And that's definitely not enough time to you know completely reverse those feelings from absolute hate to absolute love, especially on Gideon's side, where Harrowhark knows that she's doing bad by hating Gideon. 
but Gideon only knows the hate, and that's all she feels back to her. So, you know, that just, that part was a little bit unrealistic to me. But again, not a breaker, just was kind of like, ah, maybe, I guess, I'll let it go. And there were a lot of questions that I had. We learned just in the same scene about Harrowhark's parents and Gideon surviving that Harrowhark had opened the lock tomb and looked inside. And what she saw was a girl cased in ice with chains around her neck and her arms and her hands, all holding her back down. And then they, she, you know, she locks it up again. But who is this girl? They, they say it's the, the emperor's greatest foe, the one he could beat once, but not twice. So who is she? Why is she there? The ninth was supposed to, you know, lock themselves up in the tomb and die after her so everybody would forget but they didn't, so, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing something from there come up. And I, just the the trick at the end, I knew that Dulcina the Seventh, who has been, been sick this whole book, I knew that something was going to happen and she was going to be more powerful than everybody was expecting her to be, or smarter or more conniving, which I was right, but I did not expect her to be replaced by Cytheria one of the first set of lictors, and that she was there to, you know, kill everybody and stop them from attaining lictorhood because it's a perpetual living and dying at the same time, which I found really cool. The process for becoming a lictor is to kind of absorb your cavalier soul, and that way you have this constant, permanent state of death energy around you, of that energy, but you're still alive and you don't die you have a perpetual battery source which was cool and i really liked it and you know cytheria having gone crazy after living for you know thousands of thousands of years and that was so cool and fighting it was good i just did not expect her to be a lictor in disguise that was good i I keep saying that but uh what, what else can you say probably there's a lot better words i could be using but i'm not so i was sad that gideon did choose to kill herself to force Harrowhark to become a lictor in order to fight Cytheria. That was surprising. I kind of knew it had to happen because the lictors are on a level above the normal necromancers. I was not expecting it to go down the way it did. I loved Gideon's kind of sass there at the end. I'm just in your mind, a hallucination while your brain's trying to process like all of my soul coming in and like melting with your soul. So figure it out. That was great. And that puts us pretty much at the very end of the book where Harrowhawk wakes up with the emperor and he says, Hey, you're a lictor. I can't fix you. I can't put Gideon back, but if you help me out, I'll make the ninth house great again. And I'll help out the ninth house anyway, even if you don't, but I need some help. The empire is failing. And you know, that just leaves us with more questions. Why is the empire failing? failing from what, so I am very excited to continue on and read Gideon, nope, not Gideon the Ninth, Harrow the Ninth. I'm thinking it's going to be a really fun read, and that's going to wrap up my discussion of Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. Thanks for listening, everybody, and thanks to David Hillowitz for the intro and outro music. Of course, if you have any questions or comments, send those to LeeBromancyPod at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter most of the time at Pod. I don't post much, but I'm trying to get better at that. And I've put up a calendar on the website, libromancy.podbean.com. 
showing what books are coming up next. So, you know, please like and subscribe where you get your podcast from. And remember to die with the magic of books. Mm-hmm.